It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for letting me join your day. I do appreciate it. I also appreciate patrons like Lou, Grant, Ashley, Sarah and Barry, Patrick, Shan, Joseph, Dan, Brian, John. Thank you very much. They all became patrons to the program. You can as well just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com. And you get something for your patronage. Uh, I mean, you get the bragging rights. You get some bumper stickers and you get the access to the exclusive content. We do live streams. So uh, you get in on that and they're tons of fun. So uh, go on over to the Pete Callender Show. Become a patron of the program on the show today. A conversation with the North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Also a look at the latest religion sweeping the land and Asheville's pursuit of reparations hits a bit of a snag. First, growers hemp. Proud sponsor of the program, Growers Hemp. These are North Carolina farmers, uh, family farms, uh, and they said, you know what? Uh, we're tired of getting ripped off, basically, by uh, these uh, uh, these actors, these uh Uh, companies that have parachuted into the state when hemp became legal to grow and cultivate and all and CBD became legal. And uh, yet all these, uh, I mean, not to cast dispersions on California, but California. (laughs) And a lot of these people came in and uh, they made a lot of promises to a lot of farmers and a lot of farmers got burned. So these North Carolina farmers said, you know what, why don't we do this ourselves? Why don't we do it the right way? And so they took control of the process from seed to shelf. And that means better quality. It means farmers uh, get to, you know, reap the rewards of their efforts, but also uh, it means they help you on your wellness journey with quality CBD products like the balm. It's pretty fantastic. It's the balm. It's a topical, actually. <laughs> and so you just apply it to, you know, your hips or maybe your hands or your feet or, you know, wherever, whatever is hurting you. Um, it does not mend broken hearts. I'm sorry it doesn't do that. But I can tell you this, if you use the promo code LOVE, you buy one, get one free all this month in honor of Valentine's Day. Get the balm. Go to growershemp.com, use the promo code LOVE, and you buy one, get one. See the website for all of the details. Also, I've got to give you the disclaimer, you know it's coming. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and nothing that I've said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So, consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Again, growershemp.com, promo code LOVE. Buy one, get one from North Carolina farmers to your home. Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. Joining me now is Mark Robinson. He is North Carolina's 35th lieutenant governor. He was elected in November. Robinson and his wife, Yolanda, have two children. And uh, welcome to the show, Lieutenant Governor. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Certainly. Thank you. I appreciate it. So um, first off, I got to ask, like, how are you how are you doing settling into the new job? Uh, any big surprises so far? Not really. No, no surprises. Uh, uh, you know, we went into this thing with our eyes wide open, uh, understanding exactly what, uh, you know, what, what politics is like and uh, what politicians are like and uh, what the job entails. So there have been no real big surprises. No. 
So I about I remember eight years ago when I uh, was chatting with your predecessor, Dan Forrest, when he got into the office and he said that the office is pretty unique in that uh, the elected official, you have a lot of latitude to kind of make the office what you want it to be. So I guess, do you agree with that uh, assessment? And if so, how do you want to what do you want to use your tenure to do? Well, you you do. Uh uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we're very busy because we we, we sit on a, a bunch of different commissions, the Energy Commission, State School Board, uh, got to preside, preside over the Senate. Um, but I think when we first went into this thing and we first, um, we, after right after we won the general election, the thing that we, things we said we wanted to focus on uh, uh, besides, you know, presiding over the Senate, which, you know, was our primary duty, mm-hmm. uh education, veterans care, uh, stand up for law enforcement, because that, that's something that we, we've, we've got to do. I mean, this is, this is the law enforcement thing is getting out of control and, and fighting for uh, uh, election reform. So uh, right now, the thing that we are focused on most, however, is education. Uh, we are in a, a, a real battle here with state school board over these standards. Uh, you know, they voted them in, but uh, from our from our vantage point, it's the the battle's not over yet. The war's not over yet. We're still uh, fighting hard to make sure that these standards are not going to be used to uh, continue to indoctrinate our kids in the classroom. So yeah, that was the first I think big fight. It came pretty quickly for you uh, surrounding these standards. Um, were you? I guess so. This was on your radar. Were you expecting the kind of blowback that we saw? I guess, and did you like of all the names that you thought you'd be called? Was Klansman? Was that on the list of uh, of potential thoughts? Oh, oh yeah. I've I've always expected that to come. I was just you know just we were. I knew eventually it would come from from some quarter. Uh, when the left, when they lose the argument, uh, when you not even when they lose, when you're beating them in the argument. Uh, th- then they pull out the names. They pull out the race, the racist card. They pull out the race. Uh, you're a Klansman. You're a Nazi. You're an Uncle Tom. It's it, it's always uh, that's always their playbook. So I, I I'm used to that. I, I I'm a person who's very used to that. The positions that I hold politically and socially, uh, I'm used to being called a racist and a sexist and a homophobe. I, I'm used to that. And um. Uh, and I guess what makes you sort of unique in the political landscape, you are a black Republican. Um, and I've always thought black conservatives tend to get the brunt of uh, of a lot of the nastiness in a way that I don't think I don't think people who aren't really tuned into politics, let alone conservative politics. Uh, I don't think they understand sort of the level of nastiness that is directed towards towards folks like you. Yes, that that's true, and that's true in politics. It's true outside of politics. Uh, uh, I've I've sat in a classroom, college classroom, and I've had uh, I had a young person one time tell me I he called me an African American, and I said, well, you know, I'm not an African American. I'm just an American. I consider myself just to be an American. And, and he actually told me, he said, well, you can't just be an American. Your people are from Africa, so so technically you're an African American. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 insane how folks like me uh, can't people act like we can't determine our own destiny, determine how we call ourselves and how we define ourselves. And, uh, you know, this cartoon in WRAL is a, is a prime example of that. You know, they, they try to leave us out of all the black history stuff. Uh, 
You know, when you watch black history programs, you don't see anything about Clarence Thomas or, or uh, um, Thomas Sowell or uh, uh, Ben Carson or Condoleezza Rice. It's all about those folks on the left. They're the only ones who are extraordinary and exceptional. Uh, they're the ones who, who exemplify all the, the standards of Black History Month. It's never about people like me. And so we're fighting hard against that. And I've always pushed back against that. So um, this is actually one of the things a lot of supporters of yours, a lot of people uh, that follow North Carolina politics, uh, they say about you sort of the same thing that I heard them say about Donald Trump, which is that he fights. And this was like like the summation of their argument for Donald Trump, particularly in the primary, uh, was that, you know, they would tell me, Pete, he fights. That's what we want. So um, is that sort of an intentional political strategy that you've uh, adopted or is that just is that just who you are? That's just who I am. I, you know, I grew up uh, I, where I grew up and how I grew up. If you didn't stand up for yourself, you got run, you got run over. And when I was when I was a small child, I, I you know I was kind of quiet and shy, and found myself getting run over. And then you know when I was in elementary school and kind of junior high school, I kind of wouldn't stand up for myself. But when I got to high school, you know I had folks around me who told me, you know, you have to stand up, you have to be a man, you have to stand up for yourself. You don't have to be violent, you don't have to be mean, you don't have to go looking for a fight. But if the fight comes to your door, don't be afraid to take it up if it's the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, that inspired me to stand up for and do the right thing. And also just looking around at history, looking at Americans throughout history. When when injustice happens, Americans don't sit back and allow it to happen. They stand up and they fight against it, which is which is what makes me so mad about people who say that this nation uh, is now systemically racist. It, it just it makes me angry because Americans have fought so vehemently against racism, and so many Americans have laid down their lives uh, to fight against these uh, you know, these institution institutional pockets of racism around our country. And um, I, I think that uh, that has served as an example to me that if you want to, if you want the right thing to be done, a lot of times you have to stand up and demand that the right thing get done. It's one of the arguments that I, I've not seen uh, the opposition be able to address, one of the many, actually. But uh, if the if the argument goes that the system is racist because uh, it allowed racists to do racisty things, right, to pass all sorts of laws against various mm-hmm. groups of people, but if that's what makes the system racist, then why wouldn't the inverse be true as well, that if the system allows for good people to undo that evil, then would right. that make the system not racist? It seems like they, they want it for one, but not for the other. Right, right. right. And again, one of the things that infuriates me about their argument, one, they, 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 they say that people like me want to erase history. We yeah. don't want to talk about slavery. We don't want to, that is not true. Uh, I, if we don't talk about the horrible things that happened in this country, we don't talk about slavery and we don't talk about Jim Crow and we don't talk about how women were treated as second class citizens. We need to teach our children about those things. And we need to, yes, we need to teach them in some some places that some uh, individuals and some groups sought to institutionalize that sexism, institutionalize that racism uh, and and created systems like slavery, Mm -hmm. created uh, Jim Crow. Um, then then we're doing our children a disservice. But we're also doing our children a disservice if we don't teach them that the way that we overcame those things was through the exceptional American system, which is based on our founding document, 
It's based on our Constitution and based on our court of laws. Those are the three things that we use to destroy all of those institutions and continue to destroy uh, 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 racist attempts around this country. That's what we fight with. So our system of government itself is not systemically racist. Uh, have there has there been systematic racism? Yes, there has been. Uh, as, as I said, there's been slavery, there's been Jim Crow, but we destroyed those things with our system of government. And so uh, that's what I believe we need to be teaching our children, that our, our system of government is not, not racist. Our, our, our Constitution is not, our, our Declaration of Independence is not, our, our courts of law are not. More with Lieutenant Governor Robinson in a minute. First, if you are thinking about buying or selling a home in the Asheville area, then uh, you don't even need to think about who to use as a real estate agent because I've got the name for you. Her name is Rowena Patton, and she and her all-star powerhouse team, they're the only, she's the only realtor I've ever endorsed in my 20 years of uh, broadcasting. I've never endorsed another real estate agent. Rowena is the only one. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the state, and she's the only Homes for Heroes agent in the Asheville area. This is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the Realtor Commissions, uh, and she's given back about $800,000 so far to people in the following five professions. You've got military, so veterans, active duty, retirees, but also... Uh, educators, healthcare professionals, firefighters, and police officers. So if you're in any of those professions, keep more of your own money, 25% from the Realtor Commission. Give her a call at 828-333-4483. That's 333-4483. Mountainhomehunt.com is the website. Give her a call and then start packing. So uh, Lieutenant Governor Robinson, so I heard you make these arguments. I watched both days of the debates. Um, I watched your press conference. Uh, so I, I, I'm unclear as to why your colleagues did not hear these arguments, because it wasn't just you making those statements. Right. I mean, all your Republican colleagues on the Board of Education, every one of them said, we're not saying ignore the bad stuff. Everyone to a person said, teach the bad stuff, too. It's a question yep. of balance. So I'm I'm just I'm genuinely interested. Like, do you have any conversations with these Democratic appointees on the board do they not understand the argument you're making or are they just ignoring it? I'm just going to say it like this, that I, I truly believe what they want is that they want to highlight the bad. Mm -hmm. They want to put the bad front and center. And uh, like a colleague of mine said, if we could name these standards, we could name the standards. 50 reasons why the United States is a horrible place right. uh, <laughs> to live. They want to highlight the bad. They don't want to point out the fact that this nation is exceptional, and it is. They they just they don't want to do it they, because so much so many bad things have happened. It, it would be like uh, if I said that uh, you know my life hasn't been blessed because I had horrible things happen to me in the past. You know they they want to continue to live through this uh this this whole thing of people being eternal victims, always a victim, never a victim. You know it's not like we were victorious so. We weren't victorious over slavery. We were. We were victorious over Jim Crow. We were victorious over uh, sexism in this country. You know, we, we continue to be victorious over racism and, 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 and bias and, and all those things. But these folks don't want to see that. What they want to continue to teach our children is that we are, are not, that, that this country is bad and that this country is racist. And uh, I don't like that and I don't agree with it. And I think that uh, our children don't need to be taught that. Well, to your point, it, it the it robs uh, 
the our ancestors of their legitimate victories by Absolutely. ignoring the progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have made great progress in this nation in a very short amount of time. And the reason why we did it is because people were willing to stand up, fight, and yes, even die to, to make sure that the right thing was done. And we need to celebrate that in this nation. We don't need to de- demonize it. So are you familiar with, and if so, how familiar, uh, with critical race theory? I am. I am. And um, that is uh, one of the fears that, that we have with these uh, standards is that that will enter into the classroom uh, and that folks will start teaching that in our classrooms. And I'm going to be completely blunt with you. That uh, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, that the dogma behind Black Lives Matter, it has no place in a public school. Zero, especially Black Lives Matter. We're talking about a group that that has stood on public streets, damaged property, caused riots, and shouted things like pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon, and what do we want? Dead cops. When do we want it? When do we want it now? It has no place in our schools. You want to teach that? You rent you a building somewhere and, and, and invite people down and teach them that. You ask your perfect First Amendment right to do so. But it should not be in any of our schools anywhere because from where I'm sitting in the vantage point that I, I see it from and how I've read it, it is dangerous and uh, it, it's dangerous to our Republican. It'll be dangerous to our kids, our children. So you, uh, the vote occurred at the Board of Education and uh, your position lost, right? Seven to five in the vote. The standards were adopted. You said, though, uh, a few moments ago that uh, that you're not done fighting this. So how do you fight this now that the standards were adopted? What What's the next course of action available? Well, you know, uh, one of the things that came out of this, and for whatever reason, there were a lot of people across North Carolina that weren't aware of this issue. Uh, our office was helped. Uh, help raise awareness uh, about it. Uh, the the folks who were in favor of these standards loved the tout that they had 7,000 people look at these standards and 85% of them uh, uh, agreed with them. Uh, well, we, we gave people a look at these things on our website. And uh, we had in four days, 30,000 people sign a petition saying they wanted these standards voted down. 30,000 people in four days. So now we have we for as I said, for whatever reason, many people weren't aware of them. Now they are. It's on the radar. So what we are doing now is we are going to stay vigilant and we are going to be watching. And when we see these acts of indoctrination happening from these standards, we're going to call it out. And we're not just going to say we told you so. We're going to get folks who demand some change in the classroom and make sure that there's fairness and accountability and true equity in the classroom because uh, we know exactly what these standards are going to be used for in many places. And, and like I said, we're going to make people aware of it and we're going to push back on it. You were mentioning um, in the debate at the last meeting about uh, uh, this hypocrisy of demands for inclusion. You mentioned a story, uh, but didn't really give details. So it's kind of curious. You said that you were that essentially blocked from going to a school because because of what who you are something you tried to go and speak to a class can you tell do you have a, can can you tell me about what happened there well before i became lieutenant governor there was an individual that wanted me to come speak at their school and i'm not going to mention any names sure uh, but uh they wanted me to come speak at their school and i was told no you can't because you're too 
divisive. <laughs> now, I'm too divisive uh, because I believe in the American system and I, I love the American flag and I'm a patriot of this nation. But uh, Black Lives Matter apparently is not uh, too controversial. And then we have uh, uh, another incident where, you know, uh, not the same thing happened, but almost the same thing happened. And there's a question of whether or not I can come and speak. You know, I've got to talk to somebody first. But, you know, this it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous how the Candace Owens of the world, me, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the folks on the, 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 the right-hand side, you know, at every turn, we're pushed off college campuses. We're pushed out of out of high school uh, classes. Uh, you know, folks don't want uh, people doing papers about us and writing about us and our experiences. But they will accept the most egregious folks on the left, people who are, are just are just downright uh, American-hating, in some cases, terrorists. Uh, so uh, there is severe inequity in, in, in a classroom. And, and in in our schools, when we see examples of of young people being encouraged to wear Black Lives Matter T-shirts to class, but being told they can't wear thin blue line T-shirts to class, when they're encouraged uh, and not called out at all for wearing shirts uh, uh, that have Antifa slogans on them, but can't wear shirts to say "Make America Great Again," there's a real problem in our classrooms when that happens, and uh, it needs to stop. How do, how do you get to a place where it does stop? How do you make that argument, and how do you convince people? Well, you hold these folks to their own standards. These folks say that they're, they're inclusive. They want all voices to the table. They don't want to silence anybody. They want to give everybody a chance to speak. Well, doggone it, you want to give everybody a chance to speak, you're going to do it. And if you're not, and if you don't, you're not holding yourself to your own standards. Right, but they don't that's care about that, right? I mean, they, they've shown that. That's, they, that's right. Number, number two. It, it, and this, this, it sounds like a, a simplistic answer, but what we've got really got to do is we've got to wake up this populace to get them to understand and get the, the, the average citizen to understand. And I believe the average citizen already understands this, but it's just, just it's, there's too many that are not engaged in this process. We've got to get them engaged that how dangerous it is that we are now seeing this massive push to limit people's free speech. This is dangerous. We are moving into dangerous territory here. When you cannot speak your peace in this place, when you not cannot, can't speak your place peace in any place, we're moving into dangerous waters here. History has already shown it. And I think that is the thing that we have to do. We have to get the average citizen who is not engaged. We have to say, hey, you have to see how important this is. You have to get involved in this process. And people who are willing to silence people's voices, we have got to vote those people out of office, no matter whether it be the president, no matter whether it be on your local school board. They have got to go. and We've got to replace them with people who are going to bring fairness, and real fairness and true equity across the board. So uh, last question that I have for you is um, I saw at the uh, press conference, I believe uh, I've never seen it before, but that was your wife that was with you at the press conference, I believe. And yes. And so I was. I was curious what the, how how this has affected your family, because I remember uh, I think it was Pat McCrory 20 years ago was telling me about it's always harder. And, it's, and he was right. It's always harder on the families. And in my line of work in media, like I you're used to it. I'm used to it. Taking the shots. You know, that's fine. But for your family, they want to defend you from the shots. And it's sometimes harder for them. What was what's her reaction been and your family's reaction been to all of this? 
my wife is as tough as nails, and she's a fighter just like I am. And uh, we went in, again, went in this thing with our eyes wide open. And uh, she's taking it well. She's handling it well. Uh, and I couldn't be prouder of the way she is handling it. Uh, my, uh, the rest of my family is the same way. Uh, you know, we we're, we all come from a long line of people who have had to, uh, we've had to, to fight in our lives uh, uh, for, for various reasons. You know, we've had to. We've had to struggle to survive at times and make it. Uh, we've had to stand up against bullies in our lives. We've had to struggle on our jobs sometimes. So we're used to this type of stuff. Uh, it's almost like we were tailor-made for the, this, this job and this, these positions because we understand that life is life is about love and laughter and all those great things. But it's also about taking that time when you have to make a stand and you have to take a hard stand and you have to do some hard things. And we're ready to take those things on and uh, our marriage right now is stronger than ever, and our family is stronger than ever. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, uh, is there anything else you would like to add that you think is important or interesting for folks to know here before uh, I let you go? Just uh, the folks out there, I want you to let you know that we are a resource for all of you all, uh, particularly in this area, this area, this uh, area of education. Uh, we're going to serve as a resource for folks to be able to, to stand up against this indoctrination. And uh, because for, folks' voices need to be heard, and uh, we want to make sure that their voices are being heard, their issues are being brought to the table, and that we're pushing for some accountability on these things. So uh, we're here to serve all the people of North Carolina, and thank you all for your votes, and we're going to do our best for you. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, thanks so much for your time today. I do appreciate it. Thanks for being generous uh, in spending it with us. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right. And speaking of history, what better way to celebrate the presidents of America than by heading over to Mattress Man and getting a new mattress for the President's Day sale? Yeah, still going on. Mattressmanstores.com is the website. They have four locations in Asheville, in Arden and in Hendersonville. Uh, And if you go in there, you can score a free box spring with the purchase of the Biltmore mattresses. These are the mattresses that are in the hotel in the inn on the grounds of the Biltmore Estate. They're made in Fayetteville by Restonic, and you can get a free box spring when you buy one. These are fantastic mattresses. You can also get a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses as well. So head and feet adjustments, wireless remote, zero gravity setting. Uh, You can also take advantage of the triple zero financing deal, which is zero money down, zero interest for two years, and zero payments for 90 days mattressmanstores.com they do ship nationwide and uh, they have five-star local delivery service a 120-day comfort guarantee you can't lose here go to mattress man tell them you heard it here on the program experience the difference at mattress man buy local and sleep better so a new religion is now preached across America. It is nonsense posing as wisdom. This is an excerpt from the book by John McWhorter. The elect is the name of it. The elect neo-racists posing as anti-racists and their threat to a progressive America, which really is an amazing thing to see progressives being the ones who are advancing this philosophy, this ideology. John McWhorter, says, who, by the way, I should point out, I guess, he is black. 
Okay. Uh, he's an academic. He is, uh, he's written a ton of books and he is a professor of linguistics, I believe. Uh, yeah, linguistics at Columbia University. And he is a board member, uh, board of advisor member um, on persuasion. So uh, this is one of the newsletters. It is left of center. And I think John McWhorter is kind of left of center. And um, he has been one of the most vocal critics of this anti-racism, white fragility, critical race theory garbage. And he's got this book that he's working on. It's being released, I think, in... uh, in sections, I want to say it's some it's a new way that they're publishing things anyway. Uh, so he's got this book and it's called The Elect. He says one can divide anti-racism into three waves. So the first wave of anti-racism was battling slavery and segregation. The second wave anti-racism, this was in the 1970s and 80s. It battled racist attitudes and it taught America that being racist was a flaw. And this is the era from which I come. So I am a person of my times, like I apologize ahead of time right now. I'm a Gen Xer. I was raised, you know, with the United Colors of Benetton. I was raised when people were saying, uh, I don't see color. You shouldn't see color. We're all the same. So like, this is my cross to bear in the modern woke America, because now this is all, this is all bad. If you say, if you say you don't see color, that's bad. That makes you racist now. Okay, Um, so this third wave now became this became mainstream over the last decade, he says, and it teaches that racism is baked into the structure of society. So white's complicity in living within it constitutes racism itself. Just simply by existing here, we are complicit in the racism. Meanwhile, for black people grappling with the racism surrounding them at all times, then that is the totality of experience and must condition exquisite sensitivity towards them, including a suspension of standards of achievement and conduct. This is one of the things I've watched a bunch of John McWhorter on his podcast that he does with Glenn Lowry. This is one of the things that really drives him nuts about the white fragility component. I've talked about this in the past uh, because McWhorter has written about it a lot, is that this idea that uh, somehow or other, white people are not allowed to uh, criticize black people because black people can't take it. And he finds that to be so offensive. Like, what are you saying about us? This is what he says. Like, what do you say? Like, that, that somehow or another, we're not emotionally equipped to, to listen to somebody if they're white? <laughs> like, he gets really mad. He gets offended at this. So third wave uh, anti-racist tenets, he says, stated clearly and placed in simple oppositions translate into nothing whatsoever. This is this is one of the things like, uh, you know, all, uh, all truth is relative. Well, except that statement, right? The very statement that outlines your philosophy proves the philosophy cannot actually be true, right? Because if all truth is relative, well, that's that's an absolute statement that you're making. That is true, right? Unless it's not. So all truth is not relative. Well, now that's self-defeating. Anyway, this paradox. So he says, if you take this anti-racism, this third wave anti-racism religion, he calls it. And he, when he says it's a religion, he really does mean that in the, the literal definition of the term. Right. He says that this is a religion. It has all the hallmarks of it. And I've covered this before uh, as well. But here's some of the examples of how if you take its principles and you put them, uh, you lay them out you'll see that they're in conflict with each other. Like, for example, 
He says, black people are a conglomeration of disparate individuals. Black culture is code for pathological primitive ghetto people, but don't expect black people to assimilate to white social norms because black people have a culture of their own. It's a paradox, right? So on the one hand, we're supposed to like all black, and this is what I do believe, by the way, that everybody, you know, we are all individuals. It's the smallest minority, the minority of one, the individual. And if people, if people kept that more front of mind, I think a lot of this stuff fixes itself. I do. If, if we start looking at each other as individuals and not groups of people based on immutable characteristics, most of which people have no control over, um, I think our society is gets to be in a better place if everybody treats each other as individuals, the smallest minority. So we're supposed to understand that when you say black culture, that that's some sort of a negative code word. It's a dog whistle, right? Code word. It's code for pathological primitive ghetto folks, he says. But he one of the other tenets, he says, is don't expect black people to assimilate into the, quote, white social norms because black people have a culture all their own. See, they want it both ways. This is the inherent paradox. Here's another one. Silence about racism is violence, but elevate the voices of the oppressed over your own. So this is a directive that white people get in these anti-racism training classes and such, um, which now companies are buying. (laughs) It's like indulgences. Seriously, I have an example from Spalding College. Like you're a company, you can buy an indulgence and uh, that means you're woke and the mob will pass you by. Right. So silence is violence, but you're supposed to elevate other people above your own voice. Well, well, doesn't that then require me to be silent? (laughs) So I'm doing violence by following your advice. It's almost as if I can't win. Speech is violence. Silence is violence. But violence can be political speech when the left does it, by the way. Um, Here's another one. And he's got a whole list of them. I'm just giving you a couple. Show interest in multiculturalism, but do not culturally appropriate. What is not your culture is not for you, and you may not try it, you may not do it, you may not like it, you may not, nothing. Just don't even go near it, right? Don't try to make it your own. But if you are not nevertheless interested in it, then you are also a racist, okay? So you have to be interested in it, you have to appreciate it, you have to like it, but don't you do it, okay? (laughs) Don't do it. Like, I don't know what this means for Taco Tuesdays or something. Like how many, like for real, like how many stories have we covered over the years of schools that try to do a Taco Tuesday or something or a Cinco de Mayo and you can't do it, right? Now it's, now it's verboten. So again, show an interest in multiculturalism, but do not participate in any of it. Um, what, remember the girl who wore the prom dress? Remember she got some prom dress and it was, um, it was oriental and that's that is the correct use of that term okay it's that that is correct people are asian the like the 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 uh, the attire or the furniture like that's oriental okay so anyway she wore the dress remember and she really loved the the dress and she really wanted to celebrate this this dress she knew where it came from the orient she knew it came from asia so she was dragged for it in social media because she's white. So it's a perfect example. Here's another one. Black people cannot be held accountable for everything every black person does. But all whites must acknowledge their personal complicity <laughs> throughout history of whiteness. 
Uh, here's another. Black students must be admitted to schools via adjusted grades and test score standards to ensure a representative number of them and to foster a diversity of views in classrooms. Right. This is the, this, the quintessential affirmative action argument. Right. However, it is racist to assume that a black student was admitted to a school via racial preferences, and it's racist to expect them to represent the diverse view in classroom discussions. So the very reason why you're admitting them to the school cannot ever be spoken in the school once they are there. <laughs> right? And I only point these things out because he says these are examples of the self-defeating, the paradoxical um, tenets of this faith, because that's what it is. He says, I suspect that deep down, most know that none of this catechism makes any sense. Less obvious is that it was not even composed with logic in mind. The self-contradiction of these tenets is crucial in revealing that third wave anti-racism is not a philosophy, but a religion. The revelation of racism is itself and alone the point, the intention, the curriculum. I'm going to say that again. The revelation of racism is the point. That's it. In a nutshell, that's what it's all about. As such, the fact that if you think a little, the tenets cancel one another out. So that is considered to be trivial then, because that's not the point. The point is the racism. They serve their true purpose. I'm sorry, that they serve their true purpose of revealing people as bigots. That's paramount sacrosanct, as it were. Third wave anti-racism's needlepoint homily par excellence is the following. Battling power relations and their discriminatory effects must be the central focus of all human endeavor, be it intellectual, moral, civic, or artistic. Those who resist this focus, or even evidence insufficient adherence to it, they have to be sharply condemned, deprived of influence, and ostracized. Sort of like calling the first black lieutenant governor of North Carolina a member of the Klan, right? This is how heretics are treated in the new religion. It, it must be so. Ta-Nisi Coates, this is a big thinker on the, uh, on the anti-racism front. Have you heard of this guy? Ta-Nisi Coates. So in his book, between the world and me, he says he wanted to teach his son that America is set against him. John McWhorter says, I want to teach my kids the reality of their lives in the 21st century rather than the early to mid 20th century. Lord forbid, he says, my daughters internalize a pathetic sense that what makes them interesting is what other people think of them or don't, because that's not what makes them interesting. What other people think of you does not make you interesting. Many will see me as traitorous in writing this as a black person, he says. They will not understand that I see myself as serving my race by writing it. He says a white version of this would be blithely dismissed as racist. I will be dismissed instead as self-hating by a certain crowd. Third wave racism exploits modern Americans' fear of being thought racist, using this to promulgate an obsessive, self-involved, totalitarian, and unnecessary kind of cultural reprogramming. This is, he calls, this is hilarious too, when you listen to him speak, John McWhorter, he talks about 
a lot of these, particularly in academia, a lot of these uh, administrators who pee their pants at, at the first sign of a woke mob coming for them. Because they're so afraid of being called a racist that they pee their pants. That's what he calls like the 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 uh, uh, the pants wedding crowd or something like that. Like he has such disdain for these people who are so worried about being labeled a racist that they just cave at the first sign of a threat from these woke morons. And let's be fair, most of these people that are making these kinds of demands are morons. I've got a story from Elon University here in North Carolina perfect example of it. Uh, I will get to that in a minute. First, you need to get to Old Grouch's military surplus. You do. Uh, The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's in downtown Clyde, and uh, he's got MREs, special uh, cases, actually, that have 14 meals in a case instead of the usual 12. And uh, so it's basically two meals a day per person for one week. And it's got all your calories uh, for your day. So it's perfect for emergencies. Or if you just want to use it, you know, go camping, go hiking with it. Warm weather is also coming. So it's time for people to start thinking about the gear you're going to use while you're hiking, camping and fishing. Um, He can help you out if you're a beginner. Um, You know, you're looking to put together a hiking kit that you need. Um, Or, you know, maybe you're going to be doing like some real backwoods kind of uh, hiking and camping, you maybe get a machete to cut through some of the brush or, you know, prepare yourself for the zombie apocalypse. Whatever the case may be, uh, Old Grouch's Military Surplus, where you need to go. Really cool, unique items, gift ideas. Oldgrouch.com is the website. Tell them you heard it here on the show. That's Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. So I mentioned this Elon University story. Elon University canceled an event for white identifying people. So wait a minute. So is that all I I just stop identifying as white? Can I do that? Anyway, white identifying people had an event to confront racism. Uh, This was the purpose, but they had to cancel it because it was whites only. It's whites only. The student-run Elon News Network. (laughs) When you go so woke that you're actually racisty, you know, you've like congratulations, you've implemented segregation in your attempt to fight racism. The student-run Elon News Network reported that the School of Education and the North Carolina Private School planned to host its White Caucus for the second semester in a row, sending out an email to students that explained, quote, White caucuses allow white-identifying allies to have these conversations in a way that does not burden or re-traumatize people of color. So, in other words, this is what McWhorter's talking about, like, this like this feebleness of mind that is projected onto people of color by these progressives. It's insulting. So like, so you can't have a conversation in their presence because that you'll what trigger them. You'll traumatize them. Quote, white caucusing is one part of a lifelong and multifaceted commitment to anti-racism for white identifying people who are passionate about racial justice and who want to begin taking concrete and direct action. But the event slated for next week had to be canceled after the conservative Young America's Foundation called it a segregated event and students of color complained, (laughs) which is true. So, right. So whites were having to have segregated spaces in order to speak honestly. That's the point of this thing. Right. Right. Which, by the way, this is now, gosh, I read this like 20 years ago, focus groups. 
in order to get accurate information, particularly when it came like to radio, uh, focus groups would have to be segregated because the people who were running the focus groups were watching and they saw that white people would change their opinions in order to agree with opinions expressed by minorities, particularly black people. <laughs> so they would say, oh, I kind of like this, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. You know, I kind of like this show or this, I don't know, paper product. And then somebody in the focus group of, uh, uh, you know, who was black, they would say, well, I don't really like that. And then the white people were like, yeah, you know what? I don't like it either. <laughs> So they had to they had to start separating them in order to get honest feedback. There's a quote here from Jaya Bardwaj, uh, who is South Asian, who says, quote, the only way white people can actively change their opinions and learn something valuable is if they listen to the stories and very valid feelings of people of color. She says, uh, if Elon wants to make strides to becoming an actively anti-racist institution deliberately excluding their already limited people of color from the conversation is incredibly unproductive. The vice president of the University Communications, Daniel Anderson, told Fox News that the event had been canceled for violating the school's anti-discrimination policies. <laughs> and that, which ties into... This reparation vote, the reparations vote that the city of Asheville, the city council approved a couple of months ago. And oh, my gosh, everybody was like, oh, Asheville is so progressive. Yes, Asheville, anti-racist Asheville. You guys are awesome. Reparations, man. Slight problem might not be legal um, because, because you're trying to give benefits to people based on race. This, this is from the Citizen Times story by Joel Burgess, who is a Democratic activist with a byline. Anyway, the city's historic initiative to pay a debt to black residents for slavery and other forms of repression is facing a potential legal hurdle. Reparations passed back in July and then it was later joined by uh, the uh, Board of County Commissioners. So the city council did it, then the county commissioners did it, uh, are meant to be a set of programs to help black residents build generational wealth and overcome other race-based disparities, including in health, education, and criminal justice. But before being able to create such programs, officials say they must first contend with federal and state laws with embedded restrictions against basing programs on race. Quote, there are longstanding constitutional restrictions on using race-based criteria when spending public dollars, according to the city attorney, Brad Branham. Yeah, there's a quote in here also from the co-chair of ENCOBRA, which is the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America, a person by the name of Cam Howard. Um, who argues that reparations are no longer a race-based claim, but an injury-based claim. Quote, crimes against humanity were wrongs committed by the government and through the government. Uh, and he says that the crimes were done to a group. And so it's the group that should be compensated. The race of the group is tertiary. So so it's basically not the it's not of primary relevance here. <laughs> so race is now no longer of primary importance when attempting to give money to people because they were discriminated against based on their race. Okay, you see, this is what McWhorter is talking about, the inherent contradictions in this anti-racism religion. He goes on to say, by the way, that the problem 
is that on matters of societal procedure and priorities, the adherence of this religion, true to the very nature of religion, they cannot be reasoned with. They are in this, he says, medievals with lattes. I do enjoy McWhorter's writings. (laughs) Medievals with lattes. He says it's not an argument against protest, by the way. He says, I'm not arguing against the basic premises of Black Lives Matter or anything like that. He says, I'm not arguing against the left. I am arguing against a particular strain of the left that has come to exert a grievous influence over American institutions to the point that we are beginning to accept as normal the kinds of language, policies, and actions that George Orwell wrote of as fiction. Yes, I agree. Like, this, is, this has got a lot of people in academia very worried, by the way. The, the rise of this anti-racism, wokeism garbage. It's got a lot of people in academia afraid, but they're too afraid see John McWhorter's description of them as, you know, pants wedding. Um, They're very afraid of speaking out because they don't want to get canceled. They don't want to lose their jobs. They're they're sacrificing, right, their integrity and principles for their comfort. Now, I can tell you when you're doing uh, particular projects, yard work or whatever, if you don't have the right tool, uh, it makes it way less comfortable. Really, like having the right tool well, think about it. If you've got to move a bunch of dirt around your property, you're going to do it with a shovel and a wheelbarrow. You're not going to be comfortable for a while. You're going to be sore. <laughs> you're going to be angry and stiff, barely moving around. Get yourself an earth mover. Oh, but Pete, that's too expensive. I know they're expensive, right? I do. I know they're very expensive. And you're only needing it for one job. So go to General Equipment Rental. Mm-hmm. If you go to General Equipment Rental, you rent the tool, you rent the earth mover, you move it all around from the comfort of the chair on the earth mover, right? You just move it around, done with the project, bring it back, and project done, and you are comfortable. Isn't that amazing? Also, they are your official Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. They know the these equipment, these pieces of equipment, whether it's, you know, the generators, the tillers, the mowers, the pressure washers, chainsaws, trimmers, hedge clippers, blowers, commercial and residential. They've got you covered. Go to General Equipment Rental. Uh, the springtime is coming. you got projects that need to be done, whether you're looking to buy the tools or just rent them. One place, General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com. They're located in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations, General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com. And think outside your toolbox. Uh, John McWhorter also notes in his piece that he is not writing any of this, thinking about uh, uh, you know, right-wing America as his audience. He says, I will make no appearance on any Fox News program to promote any of this. He says, people of that world are welcome to listen in, but I write this to two segments of the American population. Both are what I consider to be my people, he says, which is what worries me so much about what's going on. One segment is the New York Times reading, national public radio listening, people of any color. Okay, so liberals, right? These are the right liberals that uh, you and I probably grew up knowing these liberals and they were just liberals. And now they're like crazy progressives, right? So that's the first group that he's writing all of this for. The second group is black people. He says, our current conversations waste massive amounts of energy in missing the futility of dialogue with these uh, anti-racist religious types, he says. 
our concern must be how to continue with genuine progress in spite of this ideology. How do we work around it? How do we insulate people with good ideas from the influence of this third wave anti-racist liturgical concerns? How do we hold them off from influencing the education of our young people any more than they already have? My interest is not, you know, how do we get through to these people? We can't at least not enough of them to matter. The question is, how can we live graciously among them? We seek change in the world, but for the duration, we'll have to do, uh, we'll have to do so while uh, encountering bearers of a gospel itching to smoke out heretics and ready on a moment's notice to tar us as moral perverts. Here's a perfect example of how it's a religion. Spalding University, which is a Roman Catholic university in Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> which it's a Catholic school. Anyway, they launched a new professional development program centered on anti-racism. It charges individual participants anywhere from 150 to 225 bucks, available to, quote, individuals and groups from public sector, corporate and nonprofit organizations across the country. The program is called, uh, it offers a couple of them, Restorative Practices for the Anti-Racist Journey. Okay, and then inside of that, it offers um, different workshops for uh, cultural humility, the context of racism, and restorative practices understood and applied. It, it gives three different tiers of certification badges uh, for those who complete the courses. There's bronze, there's silver, and there's ebony. <clears throat> yeah. CampusReform.org <laughs> obtained access to the course material by asking for it, apparently. And uh, what this smacks of is the selling of indulgences. That's what's going on here. Okay? They're, they're selling indulgences. Take these classes and we'll give you these certificates. And maybe you can, I don't know, tack them up above your door with some smear of blood so the woke mob will pass by and not persecute you. Maybe. <laughs> That's what this is. It's a religion. Uh, thanks so much for sticking around. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, listening. Remember, download the podcast. It's free. Thepetecalendarshow.com. Subscribe for free. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>